Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. As always, you can reach me at angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. Today we are doing episode number nine, which is Evolution and the Bible, part two. So part one was about the Big Bang Theory, creation of the world. And part two today is going to be about um, macroevolution, which is the transition over time of one species to another by the process of natural selection, as is taught in schools and uh, generally accepted around the world today. So let's get into macro and micro evolution. Macro evolution is specifically um, the from one species to another, which is how they say mankind evolved. Micro evolution is what we're going to be talking about in part three, which is the final one to evolution in the Bible. And microevolution is the changes within a species. For example, human beings being able to have different colors, different heights, bigger lung capacity if you live up in the mountains, things like that. So we'll cover that next time. So the theory of evolution says that over millions of years, simple life forms, one-celled creatures, slowly evolved into complex life forms, such as fish, and that one kind of animal evolved into another kind, and that men are just animals. Apes became man. Genesis in the Bible says that all life forms were created in six 24-hour days. Genesis chapter 1 states 10 times that life forms can only reproduce after their own kind. Ape to ape, man to man, plant to plant, etc. All the observable facts of science strongly support this Bible's claim. And it's actually scientifically impossible for one kind to reproduce a different kind. Ultimately, there's no tangible evidence to support evolution uh, from any area of science. It is just theory. But let's say for a minute that the Bible's wrong, and man actually did evolve in small graduations over a long period of time, then we should be able to find tons of fossil evidence of links in the different intermediate stages or transitions. For over a hundred years, evolutionists have searched for fossils of these links to prove biblical creation wrong, to prove their theory of evolution. Millions of fossils have been unearthed. However, not one single missing link has been found. Have you ever thought, why do scientists call it the missing link? Even Charles Darwin realized the difficulty with missing links. Uh, he wrote in his book, Origin of the Species, quote, Why? If species have descended from other species by fine graduation, do we not everywhere see innumerable, innumerable transitional forms? Why is not all nature in confusion instead of the species being as we see them well-defined? End quote. The reason we have never found any missing links is actually pretty simple. Darwin's theory of evolution is wrong. So some people say that science has proven it or we've seen the fossil evidence you know, in museums all over the world. Well, let's take a look at that. Let's look at what evolutionists say themselves about the fossil record. D.S. Woodruff from the University of California in San Diego stated, quote, but fossil species remain unchanged throughout most of their history, and the record fails to contain a single example of a significant transition. This was from Science, Volume 208, uh, page 716. D.B. Kitts from the University of Oklahoma stated, Despite the bright promise that paleontology provides a means of seeing evolution, 
it has presented some nasty difficulties for evolutionists, the most notorious of which is the presence of gaps in the fossil record. Evolution requires intermediate forms between species, and paleontology does not provide them. The fact that discontinuities are almost always and systematically present at the origin of really big categories is an item of genuinely historical knowledge. From the Science Paper Evolution, Volume 28, page 467. Niles Eldridge from the Columbia University, the American Museum of Natural History, stated, quote, And it has been the paleontologists, my own breed, who have been most responsible for letting ideas dominate reality. We paleontologists have said that the history of life supports that interpretation, gradual adaptive change, all the while knowing that it does not. Gould and Eldridge uh, in uh, Paleobiology, Volume 3, page 136, stated, In fact, most published commentary on punctuated equilibrium has been favorable. We are especially pleased that several paleontologists now state with pride and biological confidence a conclusion that had previously been simply embarrassing. All these years of work and I haven't found any evolution. He is referring to the fact that since they can't find proof of evolution in the fossil record, they are now stating that that's because there never will be proof. Evolution happened in punctuated, fast periods of time where things evolved quickly just over a few years or a few decades, and so there were no fossils of that change. So Colin Patterson from the British Museum of Natural History commented on this punctuated equilibrium. He said, quote, well, it seems to me that they have accepted that the fossil record doesn't give them the support they would value, so they searched around to find another model and found one. When you haven't got the evidence, you make up a story that will fit the lack of evidence. Mark Ridley of Oxford stated, a lot of people just do not know what evidence the theory of evolution stands upon. They think that the main evidence is the gradual descent of one species from another in the fossil record. In any case, no real evolutionist, whether a gradual, gradualist or punctuanist, uses the fossil record as evidence in favor of the theory of evolution as opposed to special creation. This was in the New Scientist magazine, June 1981, or New Scientist Journal, page 831. So he just basically stated that no real scientist or evolutionist will use the fossil record as evidence because they know it's not there. That is from their own, from the evolutionist side of things. They know there are missing links and there is no fossil record. So then how do we have a fossil record that is in museums and people talk about it all the time? It's even in textbooks. Heck, when I was growing up in science in high school, we had pictures and textbooks of all these famous fossils. So let me cover just a few of them. Every missing link or fossil that proves evolution that is taught in schools has been proven to be a hoax. Neanderthal man is known to be fully human, not an intermediate species. Piltdown man was later discovered to have been a fraudulent combination of a human skull cap with an ape's jaw. In 1953, with the new fluoride dating process, scientists were shocked to learn that the jawbone was actually less than 50 years old. Then they realized that the teeth and the bones had been treated with salts and filed down to make them appear more primitive and old. Another one was Java Man. It was an ape skull and a human femur. 
separated by many meters and later disavowed by its own discoverer as being fate. Australopithecus africanus was the skull of an infant ape, which we know typically bears a slight resemblance to a human child's skull. It was not an intermediate species. It was a baby ape. Nebraska man. This fossil was one tooth that was proven to be the tooth of a pig, and an entire species was drawn and made around that, saying that this is an intermediate man. Here's another one that's not mankind. Uh, the reptile bird, Archaeoraptor. It's a Chinese fake. I have evidence uh, from the missing link that wasn't. The National Geographic bird dinosaur flew against the facts by Nancy R. Piercy. You can Google that, the missing link that wasn't. It was actually glued together from several different fossils by modern-day scientists because they couldn't find evidence of reptiles turning into birds, so they made one. All that to say, evolution can't be true. You follow their own logic on what it means natural selection, that uh, the, the weaker ones die off and, and get eaten by other animals, so that the best of them actually pass on their genes to their children, and then they grow up and become better and, and, and develop these new things that eventually leads to a new species because the best of the best always survives, right? If you're trying to grow something like a fish growing legs, say they're growing a new appendage or an organ or something, if the leg starts to grow, say there's a mutation, it wouldn't have a fully developed leg. It can just walk out of the ground. Evolution doesn't say that. It says it's gradual. So it would grow this little appendage sticking out and, and try and start moving it. The muscle wouldn't be fully developed. It's, it's not quite useful yet. A useless organ or appendage would slow the animal down or even make it less healthy, less maneuverable in the water. The mutants like this would then be attacked. They would live worse lives. They would be eaten by predators. predators. They might die of health issues. They would not pass on their mutations according to the survival of the fittest. The whole evolutionary theory of natural selection would weed, weed them out, not push them to the forefront to further develop something that didn't work yet. Therefore, a new species has to come fully formed. It can't be gradual for, the, for evolution to work. A new species with a fully developed genome, unique and separate from its parents, is impossible, and it's never been observed. It is scientifically impossible, which is why they came up with the idea of gradually changing. But that doesn't work with natural selection. So it's a vicious circle of, well, this doesn't work, but it has to work. So evolution works because we say it works with no evidence. So the Bible makes it very clear. Um, number one, Genesis 1.11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Plants produce after their own kind. It also states that animals produce after their own kind. Genesis 1, verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. Then verse 26 and 27. This is very distinct the way he phrases this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air 
and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. It's a whole nother topic about how mankind is different. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, gave him a, a spirit, an eternal soul that he didn't give to the animals. God made us after his image, which is different. God gave us dominion over all the creatures on the earth. God told us to kill and eat them. You'll find that out later in the book of Genesis. We are different than animals. We are not animals. So you look at the word kind in the original Hebrew text in the book of Genesis. The word kind is referring to a sorting out. The root word means to, means to portion. It comes from uh, the Hebrew word mean, M-I-Y-N. And I probably pronounced that wrong. But it, it means to portion out or to sort by kind, the generic word for kind. If you look at the taxonomic hierarchy of animals, we have put together a way of sorting them. All right. So if you look at, say, just the common dog, it comes from the animal kingdom. Right. So kingdom is like the top tier. Then it goes down to the phylum. The dog is of a phylum that has a backbone. OK, lots of different species fit into that. Right. Then you go down further into class, which the dog is a mammal. All animals that produce milk to feed their young. Then you take that down further into order. All animals that feed on flesh. So it would be a carnivora is the type of animal that this is. If you look at the actual like scientific words. Then you look at the family, which is the conidae, uh, all dogs and dog-like animals. Then the genus is domestic and wild dogs, wolves and jackals, so it's a little bit more specific. Then you go down to species, and dog today is a domestic dog. It's the conus lupus. We have different orders or hierarchy of what we call kind. So when the Bible says it was sorted and they were all after their own kind, it's probably referring to like uh, family or genus uh, or even specific species. So you can very simply look at that. And for instance, wolves and the common household dog can actually breed and have more dogs. They're still of the same uh, family or genus. Same thing with uh, cats, like a lion and a leopard can breed. And, and they'll have a weird mix of, of offspring, but it will still be a cat. There, there's no way of changing species. So they can breed within their own uh, genus or kind uh, or what have you. We have different ways of sorting them, but they do not change their actual species, which is going to be like the class of animal or the phylum. Uh, a lion and another type of cat, say uh, a tiger, can breed and they're not going to have a snake. They're still going to have a kind of cat. All right. That's the point of that. So Richard Dawkins, y'all should know him. He wrote uh, in 1986 uh, in The Blind Watchmaker, quote, and we find many of them already in, a, in an advanced state of evolution the very first time they appear. It is as though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Needless to say, this appearance of sudden planting has delighted creationists. The only alternative explanation of the sudden appearance of so many complex animal types in the Cambrian era is divine creation. Very interesting. Uh, S.J. Gould at Harvard wrote, um, The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. 
The rest is inference, however reasonable, not the evidence of the fossils. So he admitted that all of our textbooks that we teach with do not have scientific data in them, but made-up inference. Colin Patterson, senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History, stated, You say I should at least show a photo of the fossil from which each type of organism was derived. I will lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. It is easy enough to make up stories of how one form gave rise to another, but such stories are not part of science, for there is no way of putting them to the test. I don't think we shall ever have any access to any form of tree which we can call factual. Referring to the evolutionary tree of the different branches and, and how species moved on and became something else. Darwin stated in Origin of the Species, Innumerable transitional forms must have existed, but why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers in the crust of the earth? Why is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this perhaps is the greatest objection which can be urged against my theory. Colin Patterson, again uh, the senior paleontologist, from the British Museum of Natural History, um, in an article in Harper's Magazine in 1984, stated, There have been an awful lot of stories, some more imaginative than others, about what the nature of that history of life really is. The most famous example is still on exhibit downstairs, is the exhibit on horse evolution pre prepared perhaps 50 years ago that has been presented as the literal truth in textbook after textbook. Now, I think that this is lamentable, particularly when the people who propose those kinds of stories may themselves be aware of the speculative nature of some of that stuff. He admitted again, textbooks have the evolution of horses that is completely made up, has zero fossil record to it, and the people who made that know that it is speculative. So in summary, evolution is not a theory. Theories are scientific models that in every observable case have been proven to be true. Evolution has had zero observable cases, no scientific evidence to show its truth. It is a belief, not a theory. One, science has not proven evolution. Two, scientists lie about evolution all the time and create known fakes to promote their ideas that they have zero evidence for. Three, their own logic of natural selection refutes the ability of anything to gradually develop into something new. Evolution requires instant formation of a new species, like magic, or maybe God. Number four, the Bible directly refutes evolution of species and the millions of years it would require by the six-day creation account in the book of Genesis. So I'll leave you with this, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some, professing, have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Stay tuned for part three of Evolution and the Bible on Thursday.